Murdoch University, Alumni After Dark, powering your mind. Hi everyone, I hope you've all had a wonderful Easter. Um, I hope you didn't eat all your chocolate in one day like I did because not a good idea. Um, If you've been listening to Alumni After Dark episodes, welcome back. If you are new, my name is Samantha Osborne uh, and I look forward to sharing a really important conversation I had uh, recently with alumnus Gumwe Simfue. Um, he is a counsellor at Rural Aid uh, and also the founder of Nolani Counselling Services. Uh, him and I, we chatted about um, just some issues affecting the mental health of rural com- communities, including the environment, uh, COVID-19 and isolation. Uh, we also discussed some of the resources available to rural areas uh, and how we can support these communities individually and as a society. So um, let's listen. Just a quick content warning. The following episode contains content on suicide, which some listeners may find triggering. As I say, thank you for joining me. Um, It's going to be really interesting to hear your point of view um, regarding rural uh, mental health and rural communities and what that kind of landscape is at the moment. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your current role? Yeah, so in my current role, I'm kind of wearing two hats. So the official title is um, counsellor and community representative. Um, and so I guess from a split perspective, ideally what we want to do is have that be 80-20, so 80% counselling and 20% community representative. Um, But obviously in the initial stages, we don't have a huge client base in WA. And so it's ended up being a bit more of the community representative stuff um, to kind of boost the numbers before we get into the counselling. What's Um, a community representative? What does that mean? What's that integral? Yeah, so a community representative in that role, basically what we're doing is working with communities to do a couple of things. One is um, build resilience within communities, um, be part of community events, so agriculture shows, um, community-led events, like we were out in Williams a couple of months ago, they had a big um, mental health event, which is essentially a, um, had a band on, had a raffle, and then just some food um, and music. So it's being involved in those kind of um, events. And then the other part of it is disaster recovery. So whenever there's bushfires, droughts, and um, more recently, the floods in New South Wales and Queensland, we get involved in whatever the community is doing around, around those disasters. So that's kind of the community representative side of things. And then from a counsellor perspective, we do what's called farm gate counselling. So our primary um, clientele are primary producers, so farmers essentially. And what we like to do as a differentiating Um, service provision is we actually go out to the farms and see them in a context that's comfortable for them in a place where they feel safe and we deliver counselling on their properties Um, and then the other thing we do is just delivery of different groups so we've got a five session disaster um, group called solar that we deliver to people that have gone through disaster and another one called stormbirds that we deliver in, in schools for for our primary school kids. Amazing. Um, you just Ooh. mentioned um, earlier that you've been helping in the flood affected areas in New South Wales. 
Um, what was that experience like and, and what were you doing there? Yeah, so that was an interesting one because living in WA and getting called out to New South Wales. Um, but as part of the role is we're spread around Australia and so we try to divvy it up as much as we can. So I got called to go out and support um, the flood-affected areas in New South Wales. Um, normally what that entails is usually we set up what's called a recovery hub or recovery centre, and then different organisations, different agencies just set up shop there and then people come in and ask for help. So I got out there, went out to the recovery centre, and what I realised was a lot of the farmers weren't actually coming out to the centres. And so I started thinking about, well, what's the best use of my time? I've flown all the way from WA and sitting in this recovery centre and speaking to maybe two or three people a day, and that just doesn't feel like the best use of my time. So what I ended up doing is reaching out to people that were registered in our database and just saying, listen, I'm around. Um, if you're keen for a farm visit, I'm happy to come out and see you. So kind of picking up that farm gate counselling approach, um, but more from a community representative perspective. So, yeah, I got a whole bunch of calls from people that wanted me to go out to the farms. And so I started making my way through and um, visiting them on the actual farms. And it's, I tell you what, it's one thing when people tell you the stories of disaster. Um, when you go onto the property and they're walking you through the fields and showing you the devastation, um, it's just a whole different level of confrontation, I suppose. So... Yeah. Um, I don't think I was necessarily prepared for that. It was a bit of a, like I said, a bit of a reactive um, thing that I did. But I found for them it was really powerful to have someone come onto their property um, and someone come and meet them that they could show, talk to someone about it um, in the in a very much in the here and now um, as opposed to kind of this retrospective um, thing. But also a lot of those people are very proud people and I say proud, you know, with the most respect, um, but they, they don't really seek help. They kind of just get on with it. Um, and so to expect them to come out to us and ask for help in this yeah. building, while they're still kind of going through the trauma, um, the aftermath of the floods, it's, I just don't think it's really trauma-informed. And I think um, it's opportunity to kind of rethink how we do our recoveries. But yeah, essentially that's, that's what I did. Um, and really thinking through what helps people during trauma. Um, at that time, it was just about listening, really validating their experiences um, and just trying to create a sense of safety and stabilisation um, uh, after what's, you know, three years in a row of going through the same thing. It's just, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's just yeah. such important work that you're doing. And, um, yeah, I, mean, I imagine that, I mean, do you, do you have support yourself? Like, is that something that's offered to you? Because as you said, it's quite a mm. you know, confronting thing to see. Um, how, I guess, how do you kind of navigate through that and your feelings around that? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant question, Sam. Um, and I think that's critical part of our work is there is a vicarious and secondary trauma that we, we can experience. And so self-care is essential. I was lucky enough, I was... Um, stationed at a place called Richmond and, you know, doing my little walk in the afternoon, in the afternoon after, after visiting different farms, I came across a gym and I thought, yep, that's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so I do a bit of exercise just to kind of 
regulate my own kind of emotions. But I think for me as well, talking to people is huge. And so I was able to kind of debrief um, with my with my team every day and every morning as well, kind of planning for the day. So that was that was significant. But also just finding things that give me joy. Um, so I went out on the Wednesday and I watched Australia play Japan and soccer and sat in a pub, had a beer and did that. And it's kind of creating some separation between the work day and what, what I've experienced um, and just finding some space to, to kind of rejuvenate and recuperate. Um, the really tough part about that was then when I came back here and I caught COVID, which I suspect was on the flight, I didn't necessarily have a long time to kind of process um, more deeply the the trauma that I'd experienced. And so going from that into COVID isolation um, for seven days, I found that was really, really tough. Um, but, yeah, re reaching out to people, having conversations with trusted um, people and just talking through what's happened, uh, I find, is, is really helpful. But in addition to all those other things of, you know, doing a bit of exercise, getting enough sleep. Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> sleep. Oh, you're preaching to the choir here. You don't even need to. <laughs> uh, I, I've typically had horrible sleep hygiene. And I think going through this period, the biggest takeaway for me is how important sleep is. Yeah. Um, in terms of managing mental health, I would say social connection is number one. And then speaking to my counsellor um, on the weekend, just processing this, sleep is up there as probably the second most important thing um, that you need to do. So, yeah, well, yeah. There's so many layers, isn't there, to this, um, I guess, to your role. Like it's not just about, you know, clearly it's a lot of, to do with the rural communities and the farmers, but then, you know, you, as you say, you have to really look after yourself to be able to serve them. So Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Really interesting. Um, what is the most common issue you hear that is affecting rural communities' mental health? So I've got, to, I've got to preface this by saying I've been in the role since July last year. And so um, my perspective is a relatively new one. I, I suppose, I, you know, I haven't been in the farming world for years. This is relatively new for me. But the big thing that I, that I um, see happening is the isolation, um, so like I said before, social connection and community is essential, probably the most important thing in managing mental health. So the rural communities are naturally isolated. And like I said as well, um, the help-seeking behaviours are, um, are not ones that kind of uh, work in their favour because they just, like I said, get on with it. And that's kind of how they've been raised is we're, we're strong people, we're resilient people, stuff happens, but we just move on. Um, so the isolation, I think, is, is probably the biggest thing. But in addition to that, what you have is the uncertainty, the, the vulnerability of the unpredictable um, disasters that happen. You know, and I, the one thing I realise is no matter how prepared you are for disasters, there's just no preparing for when you get hit year after year after year. Um, but not only that, during the year itself, you have all these different things happening. You know, at the beginning of the year, you've got bushfires and then you get hit by frost. 
and hail and cyclones and then towards the end of the year you're dealing with plagues like locusts and mice and snakes and you know it's kind of it, you don't, it's almost like you don't have enough time to recover from one thing yeah. and then you're being hit by another thing and then this happens year after year after year um and yeah and there's there's yeah. no time to recover and there's no real place to kind of talk about this you know in the urban kind of settings you can reach out to counselors and uh, you know within close proximity you can go and see someone it's relatively accessible for these guys for a lot of them it means a two-hour drive into town you know and so that's the other thing is the way services are normally provisioned it's you've got to come into us and so for these guys I've gone through a flood. I'm trying to do cleanup. I'm trying to think about what's the next step. Am I going to plant again? Am I going to wait it out and see if the rain's going to subside a bit? Um, so they're still kind of processing all this stuff. And then you go, well, you need to talk to someone. So you drive three hours and come in and talk to someone for you know an hour. It's just not really practical. And so they, you know, they're left to their own devices um, for for the most part. Yeah, wow. I think, that, and for me, the, the, the really sad thing about that, and we're seeing a high rate of suicide in these rural communities, is because of this. Not only do they have um, these kind of distance issues, but they've also got a lot of access to ways of self-harming. Yeah. So you think about people in rural communities, most of them own guns. It's just part of, um, you know, the of the lifestyle there most people have access to poisons you know on the farms um, all these things kind of compound the risks i suppose around mental health because if i'm having a bad day and I'm, i haven't had time to process i've got no one to talk to about it i just walk to my shed i've got a gun in my shed and that's it Jeez. whereas you know that's for sad. me I would, I would have to kind of think about what yeah. am i doing? I need to start stocking up and medicine and by the time I go through all that process I kind of regulate um, naturally in that process whereas these guys it's just like I said walk to the shed there's something there that I can take um, and it's done. What is it that that I guess you know you were just mentioning before that you know they're constantly hit with these traumas Mm. what is it you know that that sounds like quite a difficult life what is it that's kind of I guess keeping them there? Yeah, and, you know, great question. Uh, the, the stories I kept hearing is um, this farm has been in the family since the 1920s. I grew up on this farm. All I know is farming. So, sure, I'm going to sell the farm, and then what? Yeah. What am I going to do? I don't have any other skills. Um, I'm 50 years old. I feel like trying to start a, to learn a new skill now uh that in itself is a daunting thought you know but then i feel like i'm a failure because hey my parents my grandparents they all went through these things and they you know they made it happen so for me to kind of sell up feels like failure um and so i think those are the two things one one is a sense of failure um, because you know it's been in the far in the family for all these generations and who am i to quit um, but the other thing is even if i did i'm not sure what i'll do yeah because this is all i know yeah it's a scary situation to be in isn't it mm. yeah 
Um, how do you think that COVID has affected rural communities, I guess, both positive and negative? Yeah, I suppose from a positive perspective, um, you know, in WA, the canola farmers uh, saw a real bumper harvest this year. Um, and because a lot of the other countries were struggling with being able to produce and, you know, sell, the demand for canola was just massive in WA. So they really had a really, really good year this year and COVID had a huge part to play to play in that. Um, I suppose the uh, downside of that is because, because of COVID, you've got border closures. A lot of the harvesting is reliant on people that are traveling backpackers and, you know, in some cases, skilled workers coming from overseas um, and they didn't have access to that this year um, and last year. So they've had to find the ways to kind of navigate that and, and manage that. Um, but, I, I, you know, the other thing is there's obviously a whole lot of little businesses out in the rural areas that suffered from similar issues, not having enough staff. Um, they rely a lot on, on backpackers and overseas staff. Um, tourism, obviously, you know, a lot of people come out, they want to go and visit some of those rural areas, um, and that was affected from that perspective as well. Mm. Okay, cool. Do you think that um, with COVID there's been it's kind of easier access to services just because they can, there's a lot more kind of online stuff going on? I think there's a lot of services, but there's not a lot of taking up of those services. Yeah. So, you know, being in the service industry, I'm aware of so many different services that are available. But like I said, these people don't naturally do that. Um, and then, you know, a lot of these people are not necessarily um, exposed to a lot of technology. And so a lot of these services during COVID were was going online, your telehealth stuff. Um, these people are people that have a community, they go next door, they talk to someone next door, you know, um, to ask them to get onto a computer and talk to someone that way is just, again, uh, not something that they, they're taking up a lot. But there are a lot of services that are coming up. I just, uh, my kind of gauge of the situation is people are just not taking up those services or they don't even know they exist. Yeah, okay. It's interesting how, you know, you would go, oh, you know, we can we can just go online, but it's different, yeah. you know, it's it's so different. And that's again, not the world. Yeah, it's like you say, it's almost a different world. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. Um how has the environment contributed to a decline in mental health, do you think? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things is just the uncertainty around around it. Um, I was always one of those real skeptics around global warming. Um, so every time I hear this, I'm like, oh, here we go, another global warming conspiracy. But what we are noticing is the severity of these disasters is getting worse each year. So what I was hearing, for example, in New South Wales, is people would show me the, the kind of levels in the shed. They're like, so... Last year, the rain got up to here. And so this year we thought, okay, we'll kind of, we'll prepare for about a metre and a half on top of that. Wow. 
you know, just just to kind of create a buffer. Yeah. Um, and then what happened this year is it's 10 times higher. <gasps> And, and so even the prep, even the very best efforts to prepare all of a sudden are not sufficient. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so there is, there is that element. But also I think you kind of, a lot of the time you kind of go through a bad thing and you kind of go, okay, that's, that's one. Um, I can deal with that. Um, and then you get hit again and you're like, okay, lightning's not going to strike three times. And then it does. You know, and it's 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 really debilitating, um, and these are natural disasters. You know, it's nothing that they can really control. They can prepare as much as they can, and then again, it's it's the whole thing of seeking services that um, are so complex. Like I was talking to people, and they're like, "Here, yeah, we've got access to a seventy-five thousand dollar grant." Um, oh, okay, that's that's great. Yeah, but the process of getting access to that $75,000 is then so complicated um, to the point where a lot of people just give up. Oh, yeah. um, and, and so, you know, you get $15,000 up front and then you've got to prove showing receipts and all this stuff for how you spent that $15,000 before you get access to the next bit and then the next bit. And then a lot of the stuff that you actually need is not actually covered, you know, in 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 the use of that seventy five thousand dollars. So you know, there's that thing. I think that becomes then very discouraging. And so the next time someone comes in offering help, they're like, they've already had this really negative experience around it. And so you know, they they're actually naturally just. Um, resistant to anyone you know sometimes you go in a place and the first thing they want to know are you part of government no i'm not okay okay. all right yeah i can talk to you they just don't trust it there's there's such a distrust that's developed because you know you come kind of dangling this carrot um and then you keep moving it away each time they try to have a bite and it's yeah it's it's yeah it's, I can't even imagine it, to be honest. No, I hear the stories, no. I've seen it, but even as I'm talking about it, I'm just like, I, I don't know how these people keep going. Like you yeah. said, the resilience yeah. is just something, you know, out of this world. Okay. Um, in your opinion, do you think that people who live in rural communities suffer more or less from mental health? Yeah, it's, it's really tough question to answer I think it's mental health is I mean it's such a subjective thing isn't it and it's it's so relative so you know looking from the outside in I would imagine because of these things that we're talking about I would imagine that the mental health would be a lot more at risk Um, but what we don't talk about is the fact that because they kind of growing up in these kind of contexts they have almost have this inbuilt resilience that someone like me wouldn't understand you know so if I was to come from my context and go and try and live in that situation you know my mental health would probably suffer a lot more because they're kind of built wide a certain way that helps them manage these things um so yeah I'm I'm not sure to be honest I think Mental health, from a mental health perspective, there's probably, 
arguments each way. But what I do think is what I said before, the risks for these guys when they do have mental health issues is a lot higher. Yeah. Because of access to to ways of dealing with that um, in an adaptive manner um, and also the access to ways of harming themselves. So probably not so much the mental health in terms of how bad it is, but certainly the risks, the risks are are magnified for those guys. And it's so interesting talking to you because, you know, I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, live in the city and, um, Mm. you know, when you go down South or you go somewhere rurally to to visit, you're, you just think, Oh, this place is beautiful. You know, I could live here. Like I love it here. (laughs) You never see that. Like the things that you're talking about behind closed Mm. doors. Um, so yeah, it's re- it's a really interesting insight um, to to I guess what's happening at the moment. So, um, how can we support rural areas? Um, I guess individually and as a society. Yeah, I think you've kind of touched on one of the things is just going out there, you know, and supporting the local businesses, supporting the the farmers, um, just just through you know visiting. Um, and I think in, from a more indirect perspective, there's organisations like Rural Aid who I work for, who are committed to the well-being of those rural communities and have invested um, all their time and resources into doing that. And so by supporting organisations such as Rural Aid, you're inadvertently supporting those, supporting those communities. Um, but also there's, you know, during disaster times, there's always um, calls for donations um, during the bushfires, there's always calls everywhere for people to donate towards that. Um, same, you know, with, with the floods. Um, but also there's actual physical ways you can volunteer. So we, for example, have a program called the Farm Army. And it's essentially a platform where we connect people. It's kind of, it's kind of like a Tinder for farmers and volunteers. So we, create, yeah, we create this platform Farmers go in there and they say, here's all the jobs that we need assistance with. Um, as a volunteer, you can hop on there and then go, oh, I could help out with that and put your name down. Um, and you connect with the farmer and away you go. Um, but we also have different kind of volunteer programs outside of that as well where people can just volunteer their time to go out um, and work on different projects that we're, we're involved in in different communities. So there's... There's definitely um, a lot of opportunities if you really want to be involved. That's amazing. We'll have those in the um, comments section as well of the podcast. So, yeah, anyone that wants to do that, I'll definitely. That sounds great. Um, What resources um, are, obviously, you have Rural Aid, which is an amazing organisation. Is there anything else for rural communities that's available in regards to resources? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there is so much there's a, a campaign at the moment that the WA government is is doing around mental health support um there's a thing called here for you so 1-800 here for you is a, is a mental health support line um that's been created recently for anyone who wants to have a have a chat with someone over the phone um but there's so many services there's a great organization called Holyoke that does a lot of um, drug and alcohol-based counselling and support, uh, but they also have um, suicide and post and pre-suicide pre, 
prevention around suicides. So they're doing a lot of good work um, in the rural communities. We have organisations like Share and Care and the Salvos and Red Cross that are very practical. Um, Share and Care would go out to people who are a bit elderly, for example, and help them with just practical stuff, you know, making the beds, um, helping them with cleaning, that, that kind of real practical stuff. And, of course, we know the work, the good work that the Salvos have been doing for years and Red Cross. Um, so yeah, there's there is definitely a lot, a lot of a lot of help. There's a, an organisation called Regional Men's Health that we work or here in WA Rural Aid work really closely with, and they do some amazing work with men, just specifically targeting um, men in the rural areas. And you know, it's 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 a lot of it is just. Um, psychoeducation around mental health and uh, how to look after yourself. And, you know, they're very practical. They can kind of make analogies that are relevant to these guys because they've grown up in the rural areas themselves. And so they're very relevant and they seem, they seem to be making a huge, a huge impact. Um, but, yeah, again, I, I have a whole host of services, lists of services that we can add to, to the comment section um, for, for people to access. Yeah, amazing. Oh, thank you so much for joining me today, like I say, and um, for talking about this. Like, it's such a, like I say, interesting insight that you have and such important work. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. It's been really great to talk to you. Yeah, no problem at all. It's uh, great to be able to spread the word and share the word about, you know, what these great organisations are doing and, you know, letting people know that there is help. Um, despite the difficult times, there there is help, and we we do try and make that help as accessible as possible. Because um, yeah, it is it can be it can be tough. So thanks thanks for having me. Thank you. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, call Lifeline now on thirteen eleven fourteen.